Hello and welcome to The Punt, our monthly show looking ahead to the biggest Irish sporting events, both at home and abroad, brought to you in association with William Hill. Please remember to gamble responsibly and visit donlouis.net on how to do so. Gavin Casey here and I'm looking forward to previewing uh, the small ball finals this weekend. We're going to look at both hurling and camogie with Sinead Farrell of the 42. Sinead, how are you? How are you doing, Gav? Very well, thank you very much. We've got Fintan O'Toole as well, GA editor, boss man with 42 also. How are you, Fint? Hey, Gav, how's it going? Super, thank you. And we've got Shane Stapleton uh, of no fixed publication, his own man in many ways. Uh, and we're expecting him to, to give it an independent view here uh, on the point today. How are you, Shane? I'm good, yeah. Oh, I've nailed my colours firmly to the R game mask since uh, setting it up there a year and a half ago. So you can call me the R game man at this stage. But yeah, can't wait for this match. Super, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I, I was going to get the R game. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you are, you are a, a sole trader at the moment for a play. It's great to see that going well. So uh, listen, we're going to start with the hurling. And there are loads of strands to this, I think. Um, if you had said to people from Waterford, especially, that they were going to be looking at a, an all Ireland final at all this year, not to mention in December, obviously they would have probably caught the guards on you. So how has this happened, Fintan, where Liam Cahill has managed to, to steer this team into an all Ireland final against the odds, and particularly given how poor they've been in the championship over the last couple of years? Uh, well, I think, first of all, you have to give a lot of credit to him, what he's done. Um, like he kind of... You know, he's a quite brilliant track record if you look at it with the amount of all Ireland finals he's been in at various underage grades with Tipperary since 2015. And he's been hugely successful. He's won finals in different ways and he's a really good coaching team with him. Um, his kind of sidekick, Mikey Beavens, is really highly rated. So I guess from the Waterford County Board's viewpoint, I think it was a pretty imaginative appointment and they went for him, it seems, pretty quickly, uh, judging what he has said himself after the under 20 final last year. So he came on board, he made a lot of big calls straight away and kind of shaking up the squad, a few established figures uh, dropping out. Um, and they kind of hit the ground running, really. Um, I suppose the season has been kind of so disrupted that, you know, the whole preparation element of it completely changed the way he would have been thinking. It was going to be a round-robin format. And then it ended up going back to the old style knockout. So he had them primed for that game against Cork. And the way the draw was, whoever won that game, you know, you had a really, really good chance because you were on that side of the draw in Munster straight into a final. And ever since then, they've really taken off. Um, and I suppose you're, you're saying that maybe at the start of the year, people wouldn't have thought it. I would say at halftime of the Kilkenny game, uh, people wouldn't have thought it either. I, I think it was probably the biggest turnaround I think I've seen from a team within one game because they were so poor uh, in the first half and various facets to their play. And then they were just absolutely sensational in the second half. Um, and now they're, they're, I suppose, it's repeated the Munster final again. And they're one win away from ending a 61-year wait and kind of the last the, the last big hurling famine, I guess, uh, in the, in terms of landing the Lee McCarthy Cup. Yeah, Sinead, did that turnaround against Kilkenny almost change the perception of this Waterford team a little bit? Like, it seemed as though they were plucky upstarts to that point and they'd done incredibly well to get that far and it might have been a season upon which to, to really build. But then they produced this second-half performance, which blows everybody away. And suddenly... I think you're looking at an All-Ireland final against Limerick, this juggernaut in which you wouldn't necessarily have Limerick as roasting hot favourites, if you could put it that way. Yeah, would you believe I was actually back from the All-Ireland Camogie semi-finals when that was happening? And I think I checked my phone um, maybe before I left, or I'm not sure what stage I was in the journey, and Kilkenny were well in front, and I was kind of like, okay, right, well, that's kind of what I expected. Waterford have sort of 
they've had a couple of bad years and like people were really kind of scratching their heads as to what was going on with them so I kind of expected Kilkenny to sort of railroad them and book their place in the final and then I came home I parked the car and suddenly the the world had been turned this axis that Waterford had come back like that and and gotten back into a final and it's brilliant for them like obviously it's great for the sport as well you don't want it to just be confined to the the same sort of strongholds all the time it's great for them to get back into a final and it, like this is the thing like everybody's kind of looking at Limerick that you know it's theirs to kind of lose that Waterford are almost kind of lucky to get there but it's not that long ago since they were in a final I think it maybe seems like a bit longer because they've had those few really bad years where they were struggling in that round robin series like everybody else was delighted when the Munster Championship and the Leinster Championship had been converted into this round robin series but Waterford were really kind of struggling with it and then as kind of Fenton pointed out there Lean Cahill comes in totally changes their approach like Desi Hutchinson's made such an impact as well I was looking back at just the footage from uh, the Munster final today and even you know watching him against Clare as well like I mean he's such a goal poacher and Stephen Bennett as well has made such an impact for them as well he was actually up for press duty there not so long ago and I was talking to him and um, we brought up obviously Desi Hutchinson and how how well he's done for them and one of the things he mentioned was obviously Desi's coming back in from a soccer environment and he said that like they're actually learning a lot from his footwork and his running technique that he's bringing so much of that element into their game as well so it's, it's brilliant for them that they've they've managed to do that but uh, I must have been the only person in the country who actually didn't get to see them uh, execute that uh, turnaround live. Jane, I know you would have had your you both of your eyes on it firmly. And uh, again, like just a, a sensational performance by Waterford. We're probably blue in the face from talking about it now. And it's a chance for them, as Fintan says, to just end the drought. There's no point in looking back on, on brilliant turnarounds if you don't get the job done at the end of the season. But these two teams have had really divergent pads on paper towards this final. If you think about, um, you know, we're saying Waterford people would never have expected to, to be in this final, be it uh, from the start of the season or even a halftime in that Kilkenny match. Limerick fans, uh, as much as they wouldn't admit it necessarily, like the carpet has been rolled out for this Limerick team since throwing uh, in Munster, really. People have been talking about them being barely unstoppable uh, since before they've actually poked a ball. Waterford, obviously, the complete opposite is true, and yet they have been the two standout teams. Um, so, to your mind, where are like where are both teams coming into this final? Is it the case that Limerick have done basically what's expected of them? Waterford have greatly exceeded expectations and we're left with a borderline 50-50? Or would you still sort of see Limerick as uh, the A side in this matchup, if you know what I mean, in terms of just having that little bit of muscle memory from 2018 and, and having been there and ended their own drive already? I think the fact that the last number of days that I've gone from thinking... Limerick are going to do this to Watford and over and back a few times and then I'm unsure. That gives a fair indication that, you know, my guess is as good as anybody else's. But Limerick are going for 10 wins out of 10 this season in competitive action uh, between league and championship. And that's very impressive. And to do it without two thirds of your full back line. And I know Richie English is back in the squad, but he's clearly, you know, they don't feel like throwing him in at this stage. So the fact that they've adjusted, they've been able to rejig their team. And to be honest, I don't think they've been fully tested yet to see how much of a difference does it make to have Dan Morrissey full back to, to move every, all the pieces around? And I think they'll find a way of putting Keane Lynch back midfield because I, I don't think that they're playing at 100% at the moment. I think they miss him out in midfield. I think Garen Galland, between his, his um, 
his ribs and the fact that his finger is so heavily bandaged and he's mishitting balls a little bit. He's certainly spilling balls. I think they don't look 100% right. But what I'd say about Lim or Watford is their change just overnight. The light switch has been incredible. And Liam Cahill and Mikey Beavins, who's, who's with him, two corner forwards might have. They took, they're after taking a Watford team that between 2010 and 2018, in championship, they averaged 22 points a game. Now, is that going to win you an All-Ireland? It might win you a match, and it might win you an All-Ireland, but it won't over the course of the season be enough to win you an All-Ireland. And then after his first four games of this championship, they'd averaged 29 points a game. Sorry, after the first three. And then they actually scored 227 against Kilkenny. So they're up near 30 points a game now, all of a sudden from 22. And the first game of the year that I saw them play in was against Cork and Walsh Park. And I think they'd conceded maybe 2-1 or something like that after five minutes. And you thought, same old Watford again, capitulation. But no, they came back and won the game. And how much is it to do with Liam Cahill in the space of a couple of months? Can you turn it around? I, I don't know. But like, if you jump back to 2016, when he was over the minors, and he dropped a few players, I think, and he was trying to get rid of the dual issue with Tipperary. And he did an interview and he goes... There are one or two players that we let off early in the year that are doing a bit of crying and their mammies and daddies are doing a bit of crying that they're not in the squad. I have the biggest job preparing the next generation of young hurlers, the future hurlers for Tipperary, and I'm not going to send a group of soft fellas up the line. And that, I think, is the kind of manager you're dealing with here. And a lot of people have a huge amount of time for what Derek McGrath did with Watford, including myself. I think he did brilliantly. But he sort of has comparatively a soft soap approach with players Whereas Cahill may be a little bit more aloof, maybe a little bit different, harder. And he's changed around his panel and he's cut guys loose. And if you said a year ago, Watford will get to an All-Ireland final without Noel Connors, without Park Mahoney, Philip Mahoney, without Mara Shannon, people would think you're nuts. But he's changed it around and he's found a way to just infuse it with power and pace all over the field. And a lot of it has to come back to him. Like his, And I, I just one final point before I throw it back to him. Between 2016 and 2019, his underage teams, which were All-Ireland winner minor, All-Ireland under 21, All-Ireland 20, he's now going for the clean sweep. They scored 47 goals in championship matches. 47, which is absolutely insane. So uh, he, he has to be a huge amount to do with it. But uh, yeah, 50-50 game for me. Love it. Uh, Fintan, just talk to me about the names there that Shane mentioned who aren't in this panel and how... I think when Liam Cal did decide to go on without them, it, it felt like, okay, a fresh start, but also one in which you're missing key names and this might take a lot longer to build, really. This might be a, a long-term plan on Cal's behalf, whereby he does start to flood youngsters and it becomes maybe a three-year plan or a three-year process. And yet, even without those influential figures, both on the pitch and in the dressing room, they have just, they've, as Shane says, almost overnight with the click of fingers, turn into a drastically better team. So clearly it's vindication for Cahill in, in omitting those players. Probably tough from those players, though. Some of whom, like I know Morris even earlier in the year was talking about getting back into the water panel and so on. So like um, it, it does show a sort of a rootlessness to Cahill that, to which Shane alludes there and one which it clearly has its benefits from what we can see. Absolutely. I like. Uh, it's important to remember, it's, it's not the first time in kind of modern Watford hurling that there has been a big call. I think it was after Shane Pauley, when it was left, I think it was after the 2014 season, the Derek yeah. McGrath, his first season, that he got rid of a lot of guys who were pretty established. Um, and like Cahill has made the point as well, I suppose a lot of the focus was on Noel Connors and Mara Shannon, given their standing. But there were other players who, for various reasons, have dropped away. 
a couple of retirements. I mean, probably the most notable one for me was Philip Manny in January, a guy who I think everyone would say was still hurling at a really high level. Um, was excellent again for his club this year, Ballygunner, and getting to a senior. So he was another guy that I thought if you took him out of it and then his brother Porra getting injured. So it wasn't just, I guess, the the decisions Cahill made um, in terms of guys getting rid of it. He lost a couple of others, kind of unlucky as well. But he's given a good few guys kind of their chance. Um, you know, Stephen Bennett has kind of become, I think, the leader of the team. And I think when you drill a bit deeper, say someone like him, I think he had, it was at least two, if not three, hip operations he had before the start of the 2019 season. So arguably for a guy who was, you know, huge underage potential, he never really maybe got a proper run at it. Um, and last season, he seemed to be very fit all through. And even though Waterford was struggling, he was scoring well. They got Desi Hutchinson back. Um, I think one of the things they actually got very lucky with was the dis- season disruption because what that did for Ty de Burke. Because Ty de Burke tore his cruciate in September 2019. And by the management submission, and you talk to guys in his club, he wouldn't have been ready if it was a normal championship come May or June. And I don't think Waterford would be in this position without him and with his form. But the extra break, like by the time that the intercounty game came back in September, October, he was absolutely flying. And to me, he's added a different level of his game in terms of, I suppose there was a lot of criticism during Derek McGrath's time about the sweeper approach. He's really attacking now a lot more. You know, it's not just kind of getting up possession um, and kind of clearing it downfield. Like, you know, he's coming forward with the ball. And like there was a moment, I think, like when he got the point against Kilkenny, that was kind of the insurance score. It might have been the last one, but it kind of put them uh, three up, I think it was. You know, you, I was just thinking like, God, if this place was full, you know, the Waterford fans, that would be kind of the moment that they really would have been kind of off their feet. Um, and then obviously, like like Sinead mentioned, Desi Hutchinson, that's probably a bit of luck that's fell Cattle's way and that he was a guy that wasn't available to any Waterford manager before. Uh, he came back in last year, probably a bit too kind of late in the club scene, really, to kind of force his way into the county reckoning. But, you know, it was... He was just it was such a persuasive argument with how he was playing for Ballygunner and then he came back into it. So kind of all those elements have, I think, kind of come together um, to maybe kind of compensate for the, the, the loss of the big players that I suppose and, and those calls he kind of made last winter. Yeah, so maybe there is an element of fortune, Sinead, you obviously need it if you're going to go on and, and win an All-Ireland and that applies to any team. For John Colley and Emmerich, it seems as though it's more or less going to plan. I think, like, barring one... They've probably not had uh, injury problems. They have used only, I think, 22 players across their four championship games this season. But he's had basically uh, a full complement to select from. Uh, then again, we look at Aaron Galan. And as Shay mentions, uh, he, he's a little bit black and blue at this point. He, he's probably not firing at all cylinders. It looks as though he is going to play this weekend, uh, you know, winning the, the race or winning his, his fitness battle as the phrase goes. Do they, though, with a, an only half-fit Aaron Galan, sort of miss something, Limerick, that actually keeps teams like Waterford and the teams they've played so far a little bit closer to them? And like, if you juxtapose that with somebody like Tiger Park and the influence he has on Waterford, to see him in full flight for Waterford, there, there's, there are massive psychological boosts in that. You know, you see him come out and claim a ball against whoever. Uh, towards the end of a game. As Fintan says, imagine if crowds were there, but even without crowds, that's just such a, a buoying moment for teammates. Uh, whereas for Galan, like, maybe he's not kind of getting those scores that he would have gotten that would have had a similar impact on the team, if you know what I mean. So um, just talk to us a little bit about Galan's likely inclusion, but the fact that he'll be uh, maybe playing at sort of 75%, if you like. 
Yeah, like I was looking a bit kind of more closely at Aaron Galan. And I mean, the first kind of reports we got after he'd been taken off with the injury was that he was 50-50 to make the final. And then suddenly, you know, you read another report and the Limerick leader are saying that he was back training and that he's winning his battle, his fist battle to put himself in the shop window for team selection. And so there's a bit of that kind of GAQ tourism or the kind of bogey team. There's a like, put keep the head down and don't let them know or you know if, if anything let people think that Aaron Galan is not maybe right or maybe not going to start I think like even if when the team is announced and we presume it's probably going to be announced on Friday night even if he's not in the team at that stage that doesn't mean that he's not going to start he could very well make an appearance on Sunday and I, I mean I, I know you mentioned Ty the Borka there I think Waterford could win without Ty the Borka I'm not sure Limerick could win without Aaron Galan. I think he's too important. I think he's like he's such a good free taker. He's good at winning frees as well. I think he's a great size for a forward that he can win frees. He can, you know, he comes out, he gets the ball, someone's in the top of him, and he can pull a player down and he can score them himself. And he did that against Galway quite well. And he even got a great he can score from distance as well. He got a ball in at one stage and got a score in, I think, over his shoulder, uh, off Dahi Brick, which is not easy done on a brilliant kind of tight man marker like him so I think he's he's too important to them he's been their one of their best forwards the past couple years so important to their 2018 success he's a real you know leader in the team as well and I think I even on the the issue of crowds like a lot of people might think that will favor Waterford I'm not sure I think it could favor either team because crowds are great they're brilliant for atmosphere and generate that bit of kind of buzz on match day but Crowds really only work with you when you're doing well. Like you score a goal, you get a block, you get a hook. The crowd absolutely gets behind you and it can definitely push you on. You get a few wides or you hit a few bad passes. The the, the crowd, not that not saying that your own fans, but just the, the general hum of the crowd can start to work against you. And you can have like, you know, the odd person sitting in the lower tiers. Don't tell me the player can't hear them saying something and giving them grief. That can work against any player and that's Waterford or Limerick. And there's players in both teams that have played in All-Ireland finals. Like they know what crowds can bring. And we obviously we've seen how eerie it is without having them there in the stadium. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily something that Waterford needs as an advantage to get over Limerick. I think very well work in Limerick's favour as well. And, and like teams, loads of players, loads of managers have already said this during the season that it's sort of just got to create and generate their own atmosphere or their own sort of buzz really it's really kind of your players your own your subs your management obviously now you're going to have your extended panel members in there they're going to be the fans I suppose but even that like if you get a few misses if you hit a few wides I think it's going to be much easier for both sets of players to put that aside and reset whereas if you had crowds there that, that would work against you. And I, I think, you know, Limerick, they're human, just like everybody else, like a, a crowd working against you can can definitely rattle a player. And I, I like obviously they've got match experience. I know that, but it's not necessarily a thing that Waterford need us to, to help them get a win over, over Limerick. Jane, how human are Limerick? And if I was to put it to you that uh, a lot of people will be approaching this game from the point of view of wondering... Uh, how do Waterford beat Limerick having already played them in the championship? I often think the more interesting question is how do Limerick beat Waterford again? And how do you kind of psychologically prepare yourself for 
that type of game where you know you came out on the right side of it the last day, you probably were the better team. Arguably are the better team, but the onus is going to be on Waterford to find areas in which they need to improve and it might be a little bit more difficult to improve from a winning position, if you like. Mm, well, I think Waterford needs to probably get more in the All-Ireland final from Jack Fagan and Austin Gleeson than they got from them in the uh, Munster final. And also Jamie Barron, who's growing into the season and he's approaching 2017 form. By the way, I don't think he's quite at that yet. He should have been hurdled here that year. But I think they need him to be a little bit more secure on the ball than that game. Now, he has been in the game since. But it's just, I think there was more to be got out of him. There's more out of Ozzy. There's more out of, uh, like Desi Hutchinson. He got one point. But a lot of that is about getting on the front foot and winning the battle of the middle eight. Well, one thing I thought was very interesting was a piece of analysis done by Sean Flynn. And, and he put it out online. He was Tipperary's video analyst the last couple of years. And he was showing how how very much Watford have changed. Between 2017 and 2019, only a quarter of the balls that they were delivering to their forward line were kind of outside the 65, whereas that changed to 45% this year. So obviously, the, the less distance a delivery has to, has to travel, the less chance someone else has of intercepting it. So I think if they can deliver the ball in right, and into the likes of whether it's, like if Desi and Ozzy are inside, I mean, what a potent inside forward line, potentially, if you're getting good ball on the front foot in there. And just like a, a couple of you, you mentioned um, Stephen Bennett earlier, he was on the All-Ireland minor winning team in 2013, scoring four points in the final. He scored two goals in the final in 2016 to win the under-21. And like these two teams are actually really closely aligned in the last, we'll say, seven or eight years underage, probably even before that at younger age grades. Because like 2013... And like, I, I just looked at all the famines that the two, the two sets of players have, have busted in the last number of years. Like the Limerick Miners, they ended a 29-year wait for a minor title in 2013. Later that year, Watford went on and won it through the back door, the All-Ireland, ending a 65-year wait. 2016, Watford won their first Munster title since 94. Then they went on to win a first All-Ireland in 24 years. Then Limerick, 2018, obviously won the All-Ireland, first for 45 years. And then the same group of players won the first league title for 22 years last year and retained it. So, like, for, for my money, these players have come up a lot at the same era and won a lot, um, both at the expense of each other and kind of, you know, during each other's time at the top. So I think there's no reason for an inferiority complex for either team here. And that's another reason I think it's so close. But I think for Limerick to, to kind of expose or to try and improve, it's about where does, does Keane Lynch go? And will Peter Casey come in? Because I've heard some suggestions. I was chatting to Kieran Carey, and he thinks maybe Peter Casey would come in centre forward. And that would put Keane Lynch back out to midfield. And like I was talking again, if he's facing forward rather than getting the ball with his back to goal, as he often do at centre forward, that can kind of take them on another level. And then like will Kyle Hayes, he was able to collect an awful lot of puck. I was short in the Monster final turn and run with them run with them like very few people could keep into him so you know can grow Hegarty can he kick on like Caleb Lyons kept him somewhat quiet in that monster final will Tom Morrissey repeat his form at the, the semi-final so who, who will Limerick actually go after will they think right well Kevin Moore is 32-33 and will they be like Ian Kenny and Shane McNulty aren't massive cornerbacks so there's a lot of areas there that both teams would be looking to go after, but no reason for an inferiority complex either side. Fintan, to what extent does ending a drought like that at underage ease the potential angst of facing a similar situation when you move up to seniors? So for 
uh, as Shane says, both teams have done it, or players on both teams that they've as they've moved up through the ranks have ended these droughts. But does it help Waterford this weekend that they have players who've done so at underage level, or when you get up to this this senior level and you're, you're playing for the first All Ireland since '59? Is that a sort of like it probably feels like a different weight of expectation, if you like, or a different weight of history on their shoulders, despite the fact that uh, they have ended those. Uh, drags in the past I think it's a huge help to them having won those underage and there's a natural kind of progression as Shane pointed out you know minor 13 21 16 maybe the senior happened a small bit earlier than some of them would have thought and even the or the senior final appearance sorry in 17 and even some of the guys like Stephen Bennett actually didn't play any part in that 17 final Connor Prunty has kind of come on since so there's other extra guys who have this kind of winning underage experience that come into it so I think that does help Waterford um I personally believe the, the lack of crowds and all that. I think that's a huge help to them because, you know, we were down at the press evening last week and talking to them, uh, Porrick Manny, who's injured, was kind of making the point that he said when his brother retired this year, one of the first things he thought of was, God, I'm going to face some headache with tickets down the road because that's half of the ticket allocation for our family gone. And he was just saying for the younger guys, that's completely gone out of the equation. Uh, then Conor Prunty was asked, you know, does it feel like the All-Ireland final? And he goes, no, not at all, because I'm meeting nobody. He said he's, like, he's, he's studying in CIT, but he's studying from home at the moment. So he said, unless he goes to the shop, he's not really encountering any players. And I mean, if you think um, back to 2008, like it was absolutely madness down there for the couple of weeks beforehand, because that team had been trying for so long to get to a final. They finally did. And it was just this big explosion of joy. And then obviously we saw the, the machine that they ran into in Kilkenny in the final. There was a bit of that in 17 as well, I think, because they put so much into the 15 and 16 seasons trying to get over the line in the semifinals and they've been beaten by Kilkenny twice. They finally did it in 17 against Cork and then got into the final. Um, whereas this time, it's just it's just so much more low-key. And like it's, it's you know, the point Sinead was making, it's it's definitely true the, the crowd can kind of work with and against you. But just the one favour the Limerick lads have is that slightly little less bit of pressure on them because they have won it. You know, they don't have, like Donald O'Grady was talking about this. He said he's delighted now to be involved as a selector in a team that have won one instead of thinking the whole time about like, as he was as a supporter in the build-up to 2018, he just said 45 years was a phrase in his head constantly, I think, in the build-up uh, to the game. Um, so I think that's kind of a slight advantage um, for these Waterford lads. Uh, the fact that they have that kind of underage success and I just think it's it's that little bit more um, low-key uh you know, b- b- building up to it and, and in the game itself. And they've shown as well in the manner in which they came back against Kilkenny that even if it does kind of go against them um, early on, you know, that they have shown ability to kind of dig it out, which I think will be quite crucial on Sunday. Yeah, Shane, like as a, as a man who plays the game as well for you, like you're well used to sort of big match preparation, if you like, during the week. So this is obviously on a, on a grander scale, inter-county All-Ireland final. But if Waterford players are saying that they don't even really feel as though it is one, does that almost fit their their arc, their story arc of the season, if you like, in that they're coming in a little bit under the radar? And maybe when we're talking about the pressure or the, the weight of history of, uh, since 59, if that doesn't really feel like it's there at all, then they are going in kind of without that inhibition that maybe they went in with in 2008, in 2017. 
Mm. There's there's definitely a point to be made in not playing the game before you ever arrive at the stadium and playing the occasion rather than the game. So I, two examples come to mind as you're, as you're asking me there. 2012, and again, this is a county final, it's not on this level, but like 2012 with the Kula team, we played our first county final against Kilmacud, this particular group. And beforehand, I think everyone was up the walls, you know, kind of preparing for this game. And I was living in town, but in the morning, it was insisted that I go out to Dalkey to get a bus in together with the team. So I'm going half an hour the wrong way to come back the same way, just to, for a match, because everyone has to be together. And within that, uh, some sort of motivational videos put on on the bus. So everyone's getting revved up probably two hours, three hours before the game starts. We go out, we give a flat, terrible performance and we lose by seven points and it never, never really hit the heights and performed the way we had. So that's, there's how you don't do it. Then when we won it, uh, won the All-Ireland for the second time in 2018. So the complete other end of the scale. Now this, this obviously is um, a comparable situation to an All-Ireland Inter-County, not the same level, obviously, or of quality, but in terms of vocation, I think mm -hmm. players inter-county or club this is a fairly big one but by the time we'd gotten to that replay in 2018 we just gotten used to just drive to the game yourselves lads so we were going down in groups of three and four down to port leash to play that replay and it didn't take a phone call of us you know so we were able to go there just play the game and not get overwhelmed by the occasion so from that point of view i can see that there's an advantage in watford not like 2008 where they had two open nights and there's thousands of people there and you know, you're completely pent up and maybe you're you're emotionally or physically even tired before you start the game. So I think I think there's something in it and that, that can help Watford, yeah. Vinton, we've been talking a lot about Watford and how they might or might not have advantages, how they may go about winning a game. Uh, maybe to an extent, Limerick are, are nearly coming in under the radar as well, as well, despite the fact that they've been favourites among many to, to win this championship as it's gone on. Like, we're talking about a team here who, if, if they do win uh, this weekend, they become almost automatically one of the great teams of the modern era, don't they? Just in terms of how they actually go about it, and particularly if they were to secure a convincing win. And by convincing, I mean really only four or five points again, but just more than a score, basically. They become uh, a potential dynasty, probably, given the age profile of the team. And they become, you'd imagine, a, a huge example to counties who are going through droughts of their own now, including Cork and Munster, who can look at Limerick, how they develop players, how they've managed to kind of harness uh, the energy of, of young people playing sport in the county. Many would argue to the detriment of the likes of Munster Rugby, who would have done the same thing in the previous decade. Like Limerick do feel as though they're on the verge of potentially uh, a, a mini takeover, if you like, or becoming the dominant force in the country at the moment. They absolutely do, yeah. Um, I, the one thing I suppose is that we've kind of been here before where we thought teams were going to take over. The, the main example had probably been Clare in 2013 um, with their underage success. And I suppose Tip in 2010 was the other one that we looked at. Um, but I, I think the argument of winning a second All-Ireland that confirms your greatness, I would absolutely agree with that. And if you look at the other examples, like I mentioned Clare, they did manage to get the second one and the team has changed hugely since 2013 now. And like Tipperary, it took them to the 16. And I remember that felt like a really defining game, the 16 final for a lot of those kind of older pairs. But they won it. And then they won it again last year. So a lot of them have three medals. So I think they're undisputed in terms of that kind of greatness tag now. Um, Galway, probably the other one in 2017. Like that's the only one that they've managed to win, having been kind of knocking around for about seven or eight years. So I definitely think a second win 
elevates you. I mean, I suppose what Kilkenny have achieved over the last 15 years is kind of on another level. But if you think about these Limerick guys, like a lot of them lost a minor final in 2014. They win on Sunday. That would be their fourth All-Ireland since two under-21s and two seniors. Um, and like the relentlessness of which they're winning other trophies, like winning a couple of league titles, you know, winning the Munsters. I mean, it's kind of Kilkenny-esque, really, what they were doing under Cody in the kind of noughties, that it was just... Like, Kilkenny were routinely picking up leagues uh, during that time, and, you know, there wasn't really kind of maybe much notice given to it. Like, so there's obviously a big kind of a winning mentality uh, put into it. But I think there's a realisation as well in Limerick I think Kylie would have kind of drilled at home, something like Donald Grady. As a county, they've been here before where, you know, they had brilliant underage success. Uh, to, was it 2000, 2002? I think that was the years of the 321s. So there's a kind of a wider issue, you know, we don't want to squander that. You know, they got to a final in 2007, but they didn't make the breakthrough. Um, and you just see it in the kind of relentlessness in which these guys kind of want to win and the kind of competitiveness of the panel. I mean, like, I think they're possibly maybe have kind of a bit more options now than maybe even they did two years ago. Like, you look at a guy like Adrian Breen has come off the bench in the last two games, has got a point from play. He hadn't actually played in five years uh, championship before he came on in the Munster Championship. Now, he's had a succession of really bad injuries, but, like, Shane would know him, you know, from playing against the Piercing. Like, he's probably been one of the best club forwards, I'd say, in the country, but it just hasn't happened for him. Um, so like you know to be able to bring in a guy like that and obviously the kind of rotation that like Peter Casey doesn't start the last day then comes on makes such an impact we've kind of touched on the full back line um, so I think they kind of realise that they have so much kind of talent at their disposal and it's kind of about maximising it and they weren't looking to wait around after 2018 they kind of went hard at it last year just kind of fell short of the semi-final and I think there's a real big kind of a push on in this team that, that they need to kind of maximise this period Sinead, as we wind towards predictions, what separates the two teams for you this weekend? Is it perhaps even the bench, as Vincent alludes to there? For me, the big thing about Limerick is their work rate. And I think Waterford, that's one area they're going to have to really zero in on to kind of match Limerick. I know it's an obvious quality that you expect from an inter-county team to have, but it was one thing I saw them bring in spades against Galway like a lot of people brought up the fact that Galway made a lot of kind of schoolboy errors and stick work errors but much of it was down to the fact that Limerick were just down their throats every time they were on the ball that they kind of spooked them into making those mistakes like I know Aina Murphy got a bit of flack for his puckouts in particular but the puckouts are kind of a two-way street like you're like he was he was targeting players but then somebody would be in on top of them and they would lose possession really quickly and that's down to Limerick's just their their fight, their hunger. And, you know, um, Finton obviously mentioned there about last year and how it all ended. Like they were a controversial moment away from getting back to an All-Ireland final. And to me, they play like a team that won't let themselves be prone to being like in a situation like that. Again, like they're four or five points clear. That 65 that wasn't a 65 or was a 65 and they didn't get their 65, that doesn't happen. Now, I brought it up, like, like uh, Will O'Donoghue was up for press uh, there a while ago and I did mention it to him. But of course, like he gives the diplomatic answer of like, oh yeah, no, we've we've parked that, we've, we're, we've forgotten about it. But it seems to me they've channeled that and they've evolved so well that they're playing like a team that doesn't leave themselves exposed like that. So that's one area that I fear, I feel that um, Waterford are going to have to really um really target and they, and in fairness they did a good bit in the monster final they did force them into a few mistakes and and got some scores off it but they'll have to kind of double it up obviously in in the all-ireland final um another area i think uh, that they will have to look at is obviously the long balls in like that was one thing that galway 
were doing a fair bit against uh, Limerick and the likes of Jeremy Burns and Declan Hannon would put would sling the ball over the bar from long distance every day of the week and I think even Cork you know did that as well and kind of didn't realize until it was too late that Waterford or that Limerick weren't going to be beaten that way um so they're gonna like I mean that's one thing they're gonna have to kind of they won't be able to if they if they don't like la- launch the ball in too far on them as well Desi Hutchinson obviously and Stephen Bannon as well releasing them is is so key and we, we touched on it before about how uh, Hutchinson is such a good goal getter for um for Waterford as well I think they're the kind of main areas that I would see the the game being decided on Fenton, throw it to yourself. Uh, break it down for us. What is the difference between these two teams this weekend? Um, I, th- I think Limerick are maybe just a little bit further on in the kind of development. Um, like the big question is, I suppose we have such we have an obvious game to reference this against, and it's looking at the Munster final and as regards what happened there and whether Waterford can kind of bridge that gap. And goals have been a big thing for Waterford over the last couple of games and kind of. Um, I suppose getting over the line against Clare and Kilkenny and look while it was brilliant attacking play some of the defending was like really really poor against them I mean you think of one of the goals that they got against Clare three three Clare defenders go towards Desi Hutchinson and he, play, he plays it across to Jack Fagan who just taps it in like Limerick don't really give you that chances like if you think back to the Munster final towards the last quarter Waterford really trying to run hard uh, at the Limerick defence but they didn't get a sight of goal um, I'm pretty sure I don't think Mickey Quaid has really made a save or had a shot to deal with uh, for goal in the last kind of two games um, there was one Bennett free right in the Munster final which kind of was tipped over by a defender so I don't think Limerick really kind of let the teams have kind of a sight of goal I mean they've only conceded three goals in the championship so far one of those was a defensive mistake uh, by them against Clare uh, I think it was Barry Nash caught under a high ball one of the goals that Tipperary got probably shouldn't have stood with Noel McGrath uh, throwing the ball so they just don't allow these kind of opportunities uh, to present themselves and I really thought that the goals were the kind of the impetus that Watford have gotten in the last couple of games, the brilliant start against Clare, and then obviously kind of ignited the second half comeback. So, I mean, the real question, like, I think they'll probably need maybe two goals to win this game. And, like, are Limerick really going to give them that opportunity? It's not just in the six backs, but the work rate of, like, Garrod Hegarty and Tom Morrissey, the way they come back. And, like, Sinead's kind of touched on it, I suppose, in terms of uh, the way they kind of hounded the goal with players. I think we're going to see something similar there. Um, so that, like, that, to me, would be a big question in terms of Waterford can they bridge that gap from the Munster final and whether they're going to be replicate the goal scoring from recent matches so Limerick for you yeah um, I would think I think they've done they deserve the tag of favouritism um, I think they've the way they've been kind of tested in the Munster final and by Galway they were still able to kind of weather the storm and they have the kind of options mm-hmm. off the bench um, I would think I think Waterford will come close I think they have improved since the Munster final Um like the handicap betting with William Hill is like Waterford plus four, 10 to 11. I think there might be something in that. There was four points separating them in the Munster final, but I think they might just get a little bit closer. But I still think um, Limerick, and probably this probably maybe on the proviso that Aaron Gallan is fit. Um, I do think that could be a big thing uh, against them, but they do still have enough options in like Peter Casey, James Flanagan to come in. I mentioned Breen and a couple of others. So yeah, I think Limerick haven't put a foot wrong all year. And I, uh, I think that they're going to do the clean sweep of hurling for 2020 on Sunday. Shane, who wins and how to your mind? 
Oh, yeah. Again, like it's uh, I'm over and back on this and the fitness of Gar- Aaron Galan is key. So if like if I go with Limerick and after 10 minutes you see that that he's not right, then, you know, can we just add in that uh, I'll then change to Watford? <laughs> it's a such a tough one. I mean, as I said, I think Limerick are a little bit vulnerable in the sense that they've had to rejig players moving the 2018 man of the match from centre forward with four points. Kyle Hayes back to wing back, good and all as he is. Has he been tested at senior level playing in the backs? He obviously was under 21 centre-back. Dan Morrissey full-back. What will he be like if he's ran at a few times with ball in space? Barry Nash, a native forward, will he like it as well? The the other side, I think the full-back line for Watford has looked a little bit ropey. Conor Prunty is a player I really like, but you could possibly trace four of their last five goals conceded against Kilkenny and Clare to him. McNulty and Kenny, the good players, can they be exposed as well? Will Kevin Moore and last the pace for, for 70 plus minutes? You know, there's, there are question marks on both sides. And then the puck out thing is huge. Like Nicky Quaid and Stephen O'Keefe, whoever has the better game here will most likely win the All-Star. And again, just to reference Sean Flynn's stats, he was just looking at Watford and Limerick in their four games. So after their own puck out, Watford has scored... For, um, I'm just going to convert goals to points here for the simplicity. Watford has scored after their own point 47 to Limerick's 24. So that's that's a big gap there. But conceded after their own puck out 16 to 10. Limerick conceding 10. So very frugal after their own puck out. But after the opposition puck out, Watford have turned teams over for 19 points. Limerick for 34. So they're really, really going to punish you. But yeah, look, just in the heel of the hunt, I think it's going to be unbelievably tough, uh, tough game to call. I think the two teams are going to batter each other. They play similar. They're very well set up in the puckouts. They run hard at you. Um, they've both got brilliant players on both sides. But heel of the hunt, I'm going to go with Limerick grudgingly. I like uh, what Finton said on the plus four for Watford as well. So yeah, just about Limerick. Lovely. Let's try to figure out then who's going to win the Camogie. Sinead, starting with you here, right? Um, Galway feel as though they... Uh, there are maybe parallels between them and Limerick in Ireland a little bit in that um, they are more than a coming force, obviously. Like, they, they won an All-Ireland recently. Uh, Kilkenny, on the other hand, are nothing like Waterford in that they're perennial uh, contenders in the final. But out of what they've been at seven of the last eight finals, they've won one in 2016. So their problem is the fact that they actually lose finals, uh, which is completely at, at odds with what we'd associate generally with the Kilkenny men. So uh, it's a really interesting dynamic here. You have a, a situation in which Kilkenny are looking to win their first one in uh, four years. Uh, a win for them could kind of def- define an era as well, if you like, uh, probably more looking forward in the next couple of years. But equally, if Galway win, uh, they look like the force, so it's finely poised. Um, break it down for us. What, what, can, what can we expect from this game from a kind of a tactical point of view based on what you saw in both semi-finals? Yeah, well, on, I suppose on Kilkenny's losing record in finals, it comes up every time they reach a final. And even if they win this time, it's going to come up again because the numbers are kind of so stark. Like you pointed it out there, it's seven finals since 2013 five in a row they've only won the final once in 2016 which was their first since 1994 under Anne Downey who uh, I think captained Kilkenny to the, the the win that time so it comes up a lot and I mean you can kind of make what you want from those numbers like historically 
like Kilkenny were actually a really dominant force in Camogie in earlier times. Between 85 and 91, they won seven in a row. They won another then in 94. And then it was just kind of barren season until they won in 2016. And we've seen it happen before, like the Cork ladies. Well, I suppose it's not that long since they won their big run of finals. They're still getting to finals, but maybe struggling to kind of get back there and win it again. It's like as if you have this big burst of wins and then once you once you fall off, it's kind of hard to get back on again. So yeah, Kilkenny know how to get to finals and Brian Dowling's like, this is their first uh, final under him as well. And again, it's something else that when you try and bring it up with players, they keep trying to deflect that, you know, last year and the years before don't matter and that this year is a new year. Um, so that's like, it's, it is it is a factor. Like if, if we to look at the, at the semi-final and coming up against Cork, who they've played in some of those finals that they lost, like they really started quite badly. They were six points down after the first eight minutes. I was kind of struggling to figure out what I was looking at. Cork were savaging them down the middle. They were just taking them for points. They were drawn freeze. Gemma O'Connor, who is uh, traditionally a back, actually scored a goal and she started corner forward. And it was it was a proper forwards goal. She got the ball in space and just uh, stuck it. Kilkenny on the other end couldn't get a breath. Um, they were struggling to hit the target. They hit, they hit three wides in a row, really kind of struggled to get into it. But once they hit their stride, they were very, very patient and they reeled Cork in. And that was what really stood to me or stood out to me was that they, they played this game as a full game. They didn't just kind of go, go, go and not kind of spread out the the pace that they needed to, to get through it all. Like Denise Gall and, and Dalton were fantastic with that. Denise was brilliant from the freeze. And then they both kind of combined for the first goal um with goal hitting the ball in long from free Dalton uh, grabbed it turned and stuck it in the net and from there they just they just brought Cork in and in the second half they went I think 21 minutes Brian Dowling actually mentioned this in his post-match interviews that they went 21 minutes in the second half without a score because obviously at that stage Cork were they were the ones who were trying to get back into the game and Kilkenny they held firm they pressed them out and forced Cork to to hit wides when so when when Kilkenny were on the back foot they showed what they want what they were made up to get to the final and when the when it was put on the other foot for Cork they just couldn't match them so Kilkenny can definitely get to finals it's getting past that mental block in finals and and trying to get through Galway on the other hand like they've quite a good record in finals they, they don't they haven't made as many as Kilkenny but they they already have two since 2013 because they actually won that one in 2013 and then as well last year and getting back to a final again I suppose on paper it was probably a bit more straightforward for them particularly in the semi-final beating Tipperary they won by six points now tip like they were full value for the win like I was very very impressed and I've said this a few times in podcasts they were I was very impressed with Tipperary um, and the fight they brought to them they're, they're very very close on breaking through into the kind of the top teams that are contesting for for finals um, and I thought um, sorry yeah um, like I think the yeah the, the, the patient side of, of Kilkenny's play that was so key for getting into the final and Galway like if you could, could contrast it with last year's final they put three goals past Kilkenny and that's going to be something that Kilkenny will have to look at big time this year. Carrie Dolan and the likes of Ailish Riley. Ailish Riley got two of the goals last year. Carrie got one, two the last day. That's going to be something that Kilkenny are going to have to really look at. Now, they have their goal posters as they got to um, the last day against Cork. But that's going to be a big area. Like, all we have got fiery forwards. And I suppose it's kind of like it's business as usual for them. Like, they're back in a final. Sarah Durvin, the captain, was was speaking the last day for the captain's day and it just doesn't seem to be knocking a breeze out of her like you know she she doesn't sound like somebody who's 
preparing for an All-Ireland final, the, just the composure that she uses kind of going into it. And maybe that ties in with what we've said before about not having crowds, not having to worry about the hype and staying away from the club and the clubhouses and trying to keep things low-key for, for Captain's Day or for launches and things like that. Maybe that's playing into their into their favour because when I was watching them in the final last year, they didn't seem as panicky as Kilkenny. Like Kilkenny had gotten into a final and Cork weren't there. And I think people probably thought this is Kilkenny's to lose and then Galway were able to come in under the radar like that. So going into this final, it's there is there is obviously a good bit of pressure on Kilkenny because like how many more finals are you going to get into before you get over the line? And there's obviously less pressure on Galway. They've already proven it last year, back in the final again this year, didn't really have much to, to worry about in their semi-final compared to Kilkenny. So there is there is that that element to it as well. Yeah, Shane, looking at Kilkenny in a semi-final against Cork, it might be no wonder that players look to deflect from the, the sequence of finals that they've lost or their record in finals over the last eight years because they showed something in that game that would suggest they don't have the same hang-ups, really. Uh, like they were playing Cork, who stung them so late in 2018. There was probably a feeling among those watching the match that Cork were about to turn the screw, as you may mention, Kilkenny went 21 minutes without scoring. Uh, but they still pressured Cork into enough wides where they were able to maintain their lead. And also, the fact that it's their first year under a new manager as well, like they've gotten, um, it's, it feels like they maybe have gotten through a, a bit of a psychological barrier in the semi-final under a new manager in their first year, uh, which could be almost transformative for them as they get to a final. Maybe it is time to park uh, the, the six All-Ireland defeats and look at this team for what it is and, and kind of treat it in isolation from the players' point of view. Um, they're on the right track. They've already kind of set the record straight, if you like, against Cork or proven that they can get over them so that they won't have the same uh, inhibition looking at Galway, even though it is a repeat of last year's final. I think there's probably pressure on both teams here because Galway have never done back-to-back in their history and Kenny. You know, who wants to be the side that loses four in a row? Is it the Buffalo Bills who did it in the NFL in the 90s? I think of the right team there. But you don't you don't want that that hanging over you. But when I watched those two semi-finals and they were good games, I thought to myself, Cork have kind of like they were in a great position, but I felt they really left it behind them. Like Gemma O'Connor finished lovely for that goal that she scored, but she'd been out injured as far as I can recall. And I didn't think that she was moving as well as she can do because she's normally quite dominant. And I'm trying to think of the name of the, the other um, girl who was up in the full forward line with her number 14, was it Collins or McCarthy? I can't remember off the top of my head. But I, I felt that they had too static a full forward line as the game went on. And they didn't use the ball particularly well. And I think Cork shot themselves in the foot in an awful lot of senses in this game. Now, the other side, Anne Dalton is obviously a very good player and has been for a number of years, Denise Gall, like you mentioned. I wonder, is the loss of Katie Power to accrue it? And she had a poor final last year against Galway. I wonder, is that going to come back and sting them for a finish? Because they did really well to come back and win that game. But I did get the sense that they weren't flowing 100% well. Now, it's, it's you could say the same thing about Galway against Tipperary. They were a little bit up and down. But I think that they showed just a little bit more like Carrie Dolan and Aoife Donoghue had a great final last year. Neve Kilkenny, there's probably more in her, her as well. Um, so that's why I'm starting to lean more and more towards Galway. I just think that there's, there's probably a little bit more in them. And Kilkenny, that loss of Katie Power, you need every shooter possibly, especially at Croke Park. And um, yeah, that's why I just start to lean more towards more towards Galway. 
Quinton, how do you see it uh, breaking down for us? Like, uh, it, it does. Again, looking at the the men's game, we're we're, talk, we're talking about it being really a fifty-fifty or close enough to it. And this one does have a similar vibe to it. There are reasons to suggest that both teams can win the game. It's just about who actually does it on the day, isn't it? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think you touched on something interesting there in terms of the, the nature of Kilkenny's semi-final performance, that that will give them a lot of confidence because I think it was 21 minutes, was it, at the end of the game, they went without scoring. They had that slow start. And like, you know, Shane has touched on maybe aspects of Cork's play that were poor, but still I think it must give Kilkenny a lot of confidence to kind of dig it out like that because one of the things I think about their finals is that they've lost them in so many different ways, which I think must be kind of tougher for a team to take in that they were kind of decisively beaten, I think, at 13 or 14. Uh, you mentioned the 18 points that Cork scored in the last minute. Like Cork also got a last minute point in 17 to beat them by one. And then last year, the, the thing that stands out for me is the scoreline from last year's final, which was probably the best final there has been over the last couple of years. And I think some of the Camogie finals have been a bit kind of drab, a uh, bit scrappy in, in low scoring. I mean, Kilkenny scored 17 points last year in losing. I think it was, from what I could gather with a quick look earlier, it was the joint highest uh, total by a losing team in an all-earned Camogie final. Um, I think Cork got 3-8 one of the games in the 80s like it was a lot more than what they'd scored in the previous years and yet they still couldn't manage uh, to get over the line um, and I mean I suppose one of the biggest aspects of that game and I know you know the makeup of both sides have changed a little bit but it is still a big reference point is just the goals at the start of the game that they conceded and obviously they conceded an early one against Cork but if you look at it they were kind of chasing that game and like three first half goals and I think they were all especially the second and third ones were kind of a bit preventable um, you know they had a lot of bodies back I remember for the second one and then the third one they actually come out with the ball got turned over and next thing it was a one-on-one situation inside and you know Neil Kilkenny was kind of pulling pulling the strings so um, I think it's a big testament to them to get back to the final because I think like I said, scoring 17 points last year, like you're probably thinking when you look at what they struggled to do in the previous years, you know, kind of what more do we have to do? So I think the nature of that semi-final display will give them a lot. But the point Jane makes as well about, about Galway in terms of retention, I did there are kind of similarities to Limerick with me in this sense that like this is maybe Galway Camogie's time, you know. Um, I mean, the one in 96, then, you know, 13 was a big kind of an emotional breakthrough for them. Like Trace Maher was kind of the, that brilliant uh, kind of iconic photo of kind of her sinking to her knees at the final whistle um, when they finally won. And then they've won last year. But I mean, they've only three in their whole history for, you know, a kind of a traditional Camogie superpower. So I think for this team, they have that kind of monkey off their back in terms of, uh, you know, having made the breakthrough. Um, a few of them would have been there in 13. Um, and it just as well, I know Sinead would have been kind of on the captain's day, but they've talked a good bit about their... I think they have a bit of a cause over this thing with their intermediate team not being allowed to compete in the championship that they would have had about 40 or 50 kind of involved uh, in training. The management was the same for both teams last year. And then there was, a, because I suppose the, the change circumstances this year, there was a decision made late on that second uh, second choice sides from leading counties weren't allowed to play in the intermediate level. Um, and I know the goal manager would have spoken to Sinead and he called Murray and he was really, really strong about that. And I think Sarah Durbin touched on it as well. So I wonder, is that going to be a little maybe of a, of a factor um, kind of spurring them on to kind of do it for those players uh, on, some, on Saturday night? Yeah, Sinead, that hurt on Galway's behalf seemed really genuine, didn't it? And understandably too, in the sense that when you have a, a group that size and all of a sudden you're ostensibly having to call about half of them or at least you know they're, they're likely not to, to receive action it can be a powerful thing as well because uh, as we know in dress moves it's easy enough to create a kind of a sense of us against the world and when you have a, a large panel like that including an intermediate panel kind of all pulling towards uh, one team all kind of lending their 
you know, well wishes and more than that, actual physical support as well. Uh, you know, create a bit of a dangerous beast. Like they're going to come in with, um, it, it'll feel like a real county effort, I think, this time and not just an effort of, of that senior squad. Yeah, I suppose there's motivational hurt like that for both sides. Like Shane mentioned Katie Power there and she's going to be such a symbol for Kilkenny going into this final. But yeah, what you mentioned there about Galway and the intermediates and them not being able to compete in their competition has been a real, real issue for them. And like, you know, it's oftentimes in journalism, like when you're trying to get a story, it's you having to try and contact the team and get them to talk to you. But in this instance, it's actually Cahill Murray who contacted me and he wanted to do a story about this. He wanted to get their feelings on the matter out there. And I spoke to him and he was, you know, very passionate about it. Like this is so unfair on our extended family basically it's a massive panel of yeah about that 50 players who all train together and it's this unique thing about camogie like i played ladies football so i've no real um experience with camogie and how this dynamic works that you have your intermediate and your your senior county teams training side by side same manager on all ireland final day if they both reach the final the manager's out on the sideline with the intermediate team and then like result win or lose they're going down the tunnel and then having to get ready for the senior final and I mean particularly with Cahill Murray last year like his intermediates lost and then he's having to let go of that hurt go down the the tunnel and meet up with your seniors and get ready for for that final like I don't know how they do it and I mean when you talk to them they just tell you but sure look we know nothing more and you have to kind of take it like that if that's what they've always done then they've obviously just kind of gotten used to that dynamic themselves so yeah not having them um or not not having them being able to compete this year has definitely affected them and Sarah I, I mentioned this or I spoke to her about this on the on the captain's day and she said it was you know it was very weird even not having that number of people all training together and look it's COVID related it's not the Camogie Association deciding that Galway can't compete in the intermediate competition but a rule was obviously decided that counties that have participation in both the intermediates and the senior competitions they have to only have one team and look at it's a it's an unfortunate situation to be in and when we started this GA championship in under kind of COVID conditions we all knew that there was going to have to be compromises made and we were going to have to accept that it wasn't going to be a normal championship and that's when the idea of not having all the panel members at the stadiums that's where that came in John Kiley obviously mentioned it he said that it wasn't fair and then eventually it came it came about that the, that the rule was changed and they can bring their extended panel members to to the matches but it's it's this idea that we, we can't expect everything to, to run as normal families won't be at the stadiums and I know that was brought up as well from players they thought that family members of the the players and the the panel members should be allowed to attend the games and unfortunately if, if we start kind of going down that road like how many more compromises are we going to uh, do a u-turn on before it's basically 80,000 people in Crow Park so yeah it's it's definitely going to be something in the back of their minds but I do think that that's that powerful symbol that powerful image of Katie Power being in Porky Keeve with the crutches on at the sideline willing the girls on I think that was huge for Kilkenny and she's a massive player for them she plays with her heart in her sleeve um, and I know when Anne Downey stepped down last year I was interviewing her afterwards and I mean she could barely hold the tears back that she was gone so that's a girl with you know amber and and uh, was it black and amber in her in her veins like she really is just Kilkenny through and through and not having her uh, on the pitch uh, on Saturday is going to be a huge factor for Kilkenny 
Um, and I think that if I'm gonna if I was gonna sway either way, I think that's where Kilkenny might might go over the line because they have they have the absence of her and the hurt of those finals. Like I mean, they, like they can't convince me that they haven't that they've forgotten them or tried to to park them. Like you don't, no one ever remembers the wins as much as as the losses and they don't leave your memory and I think that's what will drive them on uh, before I get the lads predictions just to stick with yourself briefly Sinead and, and look at this game within a wider women's sports context it's probably a nice break for yourself as a journalist given uh, what's gone on in the football over the last week or so yourself and Emma Duffy on the 42 have been particularly busy as a Everybody, uh, I think, covering GA or in fact, relies on that over the last few days. So this is a you know an opportunity to remind people that, uh, well, remind them of of the actual spectacle that it can be. Are you expecting it to, uh, I guess, uh, live up to its billing, if you like? In that this, when we look at last year's final and how high scoring it was, uh, there does. Uh, like the you now weather dependent as well because last year's final was played at a different time of year. But conditions pending, can this be kind of an open and off free flowing game, one that will get people excited? Because as Fintan mentioned earlier, uh, there probably have been a number of finals recently which haven't been great on the eye uh, in terms of play, but have had their drama. To be fair, if you look at 2017, 2018, their kind of last second interventions that have won the game. So, like, can this one be? A reminder to people of, of why they should be watching this in the first place. You know what I mean? Definitely, I, I definitely think we're going to see an open, free flowing game of Camogie, and we saw that in the semi finals. Like one thing about Camogie is it is quite, it is can, it can be quite bunched. Like I remember looking at one stage and there were rooks going on in the middle of the field, and I'd say there was maybe only three players outside it, so it can it can be a little bit bunched, but it was definitely. A really like both games were were free flow and maybe the first game was a bit more of a of a score fest than the than the second one was a, a little bit cagier but I definitely I would expect that certainly we, like I think we can I don't want to obviously tempt fate but I think we can say that, that those arguments about it being overly defensive or drab or the referees not letting the the game flow I think we have moved on from that and you have to credit the Camogie Association for amending the rules slightly to to allow for that and yeah definitely this game is coming at a very very important time for for women's sport after what happened at the weekend like I was speaking on our um, GA weekly podcast and I did say that I was predicting that this would the the controversy of the semi-final would be a big you know talking point for the next few days I didn't expect it to kind of blow up as much as it did I think it actually might have been an item on the 6-1 not even in the sports section I could it might have actually been like a headline at the at the top of the hour and you don't want that like when you go into sports journalism you want to write about sport I like I mean personally I've no problem covering these controversies when they come up and especially if it's if it amounts to a conversation or a wider conversation about where we're going with the sport. And obviously the biggest thing that's kind of fallen out of this is that, you know, the, the idea of should the associations merge, that's definitely coming back up again, whether it will go anywhere, I don't know, but sometimes it's, it's no harm for a spotlight to be, to be shining on this. Now it's not fair, obviously on Galway, the way that it all panned out. Um, but definitely this game is is so key um, to, to happen so soon after it. And Camogie definitely need to get this right from a logistics point of view. Uh, you don't want, you know, back to back weeks of, of controversy. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it's at seven o'clock. It's in Crow Park. So we're not going to have surface issues. 
timing is is perfect i imagine both sides will travel up and down on the day obviously i don't i'm not privy to their to their travel details like i have been <laughs> i've never been more aware or been more informed about uh, the travel <laughs> plans of a team than i have in the in the last few days um so it's definitely important yeah from from that side from that side of things because you know you want sport to get back into the the conversation like there's loads of things about last week's final last week's semi-final that we never got to talk about and never got to really write about apart from my match report which I mean just the, with the way things um were switched at the last minute it wasn't even the type of match report I'd like to really write I'd like to get into it and kind of give more breath about what actually happened but because we did we weren't in the media the normal media section we were sitting in normal seats we didn't have desks so I was trying to I was basically just kind of literally just taking notes of of scores it was one of those uh, it was just one of those kind of days so definitely yeah no they, this this has to kind of go right just to like so that we we can be talking more like what we're doing here about the game itself we want to be talking about you know will carry dolan score more goals with o'reilly like like shane mentioned there there's more in neve kilkenny is this another like she was brilliant in last year's final will she produce a game like that again will kilkenny uh end the hurt of the last few finals there are four to five um bet nods with uh william hill so i mean i've i've backed them a few times now and i'm gonna stick with it it's too late now to to go back not to say that galway can't uh defend their title um, but I think um, I think I think Kenny will win, it. and it's it's very important that it just goes smoothly. The game itself, that it's it's on telly. It's on, like RT have the the coverage of it. I know TG Carr provide great coverage for the ladies' football, but RT is the main broadcaster. When it's live like that on the main channel, you want it to to go well. The semi finals. I know, like in fairness, Camogie had its own little controversy in the semi finals with the timekeeping. And I actually didn't even realise that until after the game. It was like that Con Hoolahan line around Italia 90. I don't know because I was there. Like everything was fine as far as I was concerned. It was the people at home watching on telly that thought there was an issue around timekeeping. But in fairness, that was more a storm in a teacup because the Camogie Association came out and said, look, the issue wasn't really on our side. The television clocks were incorrect. The timekeeping was right in both semifinals. So that kind of came and went fairly quickly. And you, you just want to make sure that, especially when we've gotten this chance to play the championships, we didn't think we'd get them a few months ago. And I know that's been mentioned so many times, but when we're so close now to the final, you want to make sure that it goes as as planned. Will it go as planned for Kilkenny, Fintan, or will it go as planned for Galway? Who do you see winning in here? Uh, I think I'd edge it towards Galway. Um, you know, I think they've been pretty impressive in what they've done in terms of defending the title, obviously, and Vastly different circumstances. I think that was touched on that. Uh, you know, they've been waiting a while for the uh, to, to win it last year, and they've been defending champions for fifteen months now. Um, so it's probably I think Sarah Durban touched on that that she's at they, they've had the cup for longer than they thought they would. Um, I just thought the manner of the Tipperary win it was just kind of very controlled. I mean, they only scored one goal, but they probably should have got a got a few more. Uh, and like that seems to give them an early buffer in terms of on the scoreboard and and a kind of an early cushion. Um. Kenny obviously have kind of a lot of heart and a lot of kind of drive built up, but I would be edging slightly towards Galway. And I suppose just touching on what Sinead said uh, in terms of the occasion, like I think it's great that it's gone as it's on the same weekend as the hurling final. I know it's because of the, the circumstances are different, but I do think it adds to the sense of occasion. I mean, it's gone away from its traditional Sunday afternoon slot and um, it's on a Saturday night, and maybe that won't be possible going forward because usually they would have the intermediate and the, the premier junior together with it. And, um, you know, it might be possible to, to have that, but it does, I think, add to the 
I suppose the kind of sporting festival uh, weekend kind of a schedule sense to it that it's on uh, Saturday night and then uh, we've the hurling final to look forward to on Sunday afternoon. Mm, can't wait. Shane, take us home. Galway or Kilkenny for you? Yeah, I think I'm just about going to plumb for Galway and I think Sarah Durbin at full back. Probably I expect a big game from her. She was a uh, player of the match in the semi-final. Aoife Donoghue, if she can repeat her heroics from last year's final again. Neve Kilkenny, big player. And I just, like last year's final was brilliant, by the way. I know we've touched on it, but that was, that was a really exceptional occasion. And I was there watching it. And I think a lot, an awful lot of the issues with the previous finals would be down to very uh, fussy refereeing. Um, so I'd hope this one has let flow. And I can see it being a fairly pulsating sort of a game that'll swing both ways. But I think Galway will come out on top. You can find Shane's work on OurGame.ie. Shane, do you want to talk people through what you do on there if they're unfamiliar in the unlikely event if they're unfamiliar with your work there? Yeah. Oh, well, it's just like GA videos, analysis, interviews, the whole lot. I mean, Finton has featured plenty of times in it. So coming up to the All-Ireland, I've interviews with people from both sides, Kieran Carey, a few, few different players in the Hurland show. So if people want to have a look, it's at ourgame.ie. Yeah, super stuff. Would recommend Fintan, thank you. And Sinead, thank you as well. Enjoy the weekend. No worries, guys. Shane, thank Thanks you to everybody Thanks, for sir. watching. Uh, this was brought to you in association with William Hill. Reminder to gamble responsibly and visit dunlewy.net on how to do so. Best of luck to all the Camogie players and hurlers over the course of the weekend. It should be a good one. Until next time, mind yourselves. Take it easy.